0: Let's go a bit deeper. You want to talk about exposition?
1: Yeah, so, like, you know, you you were saying this uh, um, about how it's an hour long and you get this whole world and everything. And it's like, well, with sci-fi and fantasy, you know, how do you get people into your world? Hello, and welcome to the Story Toolkit, I'm Basim wakil co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement, with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today, we're going to talk about Electric Dreams, an episode of it, The Commuter. The co- <laughs> What? The Commuter. <laughs> okay. The Hello, commuter. everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Again. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, as always you can get in touch uh, on twitter at the story toolkit and the website thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com it has all the episodes and you can email us directly um, some of you have been thank you very much for doing that uh, and give us suggestions uh, for things to watch and talk about and mm. notes on um, how much we hate bass actually no save those for the reviews that's true yep. yeah
1: those are important one star and above please thank you could do with some more 1 stars We really balance could
0: out. It's <laughs> balanced out the reviews Okay uh, Let's get into it Okay the, the so The Commuter The Commuter C- commutor. Commutor. Uh
1: The Commuter is an episode of Electric Dreams um, Luke has a particular fondness for this because it's Philip K. Dick And hey Luke, Luke likes his Philip K. Dick I do um,
0: Is it worth noting um, I don't know how I don't know whether this has travelled across
1: the Atlantic actually because it's a Channel 4 program. It um, must have. It's got Brian Cranston in it. That's true. It must be somewhere across the Atlantic. My point being, I don't know how you can watch
0: this in America, so I don't know if it's been broadcast
1: yet. Do or... they really deserve to watch it?
0: <laughs> and most of our audience. I don't
1: switches. think so. I think most Americans listening to this podcast are 100% on my side. <laughs> got to <me> talking <laughs> about American politics. <laughs> We're fine. Um, so... By the way, that uh, Luke has on the table where we're recording a copy of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, which is an anthology book of the short stories that they've adapted into the show, Electric Dreams. And the cover has a psychedelic on it, which is appropriate because it's Philip K. Dick. However, it is completely messing with my mind. Like my eyes. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah, it's really messing up my eyes. Oh no, there's one on it's the It's on side. the back. It's on the back. This is great stuff. For a purely auditory <laughs> medium. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Electric Dreams uh, is an anthology series based on short stories of, by Philip K. Dick that haven't been adapted into anything. And the name Electric Dreams comes from probably his most famous work, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner. Right? Yeah. So, Electric Dreams, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, right? Electric. I Dreams. think they get it. It's quite nice, though. I quite, I quite kind of like. I like it. I think <laughs> it's, I really, it's, it's nice. It's a nice. Just on a side note, I really like the
0: uh, the intro sequence to the show because mm. it's all um yeah, it, it's it, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's just these weird and wonderful aliens and androids and yeah uh, stuff, and then right at the end, um, they have a CGI uh, android Philip K Dick. Oh really? That's him with the hood, Yeah. Oh,
1: that's nice. I, yeah, I like. I like. I also. I think the title "Electric Dreams" is a really good name for the show. Jeez, let it go, back. No, but it sets the tone, which is important. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like it's important. It's like Black Mirror sets the tone. Twilight Zone, Outer Limits. Okay. You know they set they set the tone. Like because it's an anthology series, it's important that you're in the right mindset as soon as you sit down. Because they haven't okay. got the time to build, yeah, and yeah. the characters don't persist so they have to get you as quickly as they can into the world and one of the ways to that is the title and so when you call it electric dreams you immediately create that sense of sort of um a blurring between reality and fantasy and the blurring is important like black mirror it's a stark thing it's like look this is a stark allegorical bam look in your face yeah. Right? It's a mirror. Black mirror. It's jagged. These you're, are the dark parts. Bam! Of uh, yeah, it's like, it's really stark and obvious. Electric dreams. like, this is subtle. <clears throat> you're going, it's like you're going to, because the word dreams, right? Yeah. It just, uh, gonna it's just you're going to sort of more blur into it, have that lucid dream moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I like that. And The Commuter really fits that. I haven't seen the other episode, but uh, I thought The Commuter uh, was excellent. And Luke loved it. Luke.
0: Yeah, so there's a reason I showed bass the commuter I said I, I want to do an episode on this show um and uh, so commuter was episode four and they're still showing them. they've only just shown episode six so there's another four to go mm-hmm. um but the the first couple were good the commuter was r- really the mm. first one that went hey, this is yeah. a great great show and Timothy Spall is excellent it? he is isn't he yeah
1: the whole show is about him yeah. he's in every scene yeah um he's the pretty much the only character in it really yeah and uh he's excellent i I remember I, you know I saw Mr Turner the film about yes. the painter starring Timothy Spall, and I just remember watching him like how much can one man act nothing <laughs> because he the story's boring it's such a boring plodding film he's so good mm. he's so good you just watch him say like, he has carried this entire film every scene for two hours he's an excellent actor and so and you watch him in the commuter and he's just superb absolutely superb so okay commuter Um, so the 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 premise of the commuter is that it's set in the real world modern day everything's normal Timothy Spall is a train conductor named Ed Jacobson Ed Jacobson Uh, what's the train station he's at?
0: Uh, they're in Woking,
1: Woking, which is a particularly
0: bleak place in the yeah. UK. Apologies if we have any listeners in, listeners in Woking, but...
1: You, know, but you know you say it's bleak. It's true. It is bleak, but there's a beautiful, quaint bleakness to England that other countries <laughs> don't have. No, there, there is a the real sense of it. It's just like it's so it's so small, right? It's just quiet. You know. Anyway, I love it. whenever whenever i've left england i i really miss like (laughs) that stuff so um but it's that lovely sort of small little you know quite almost almost derelict right (laughs) lovely and he's a train conductor there and this woman comes up this beautiful woman walks up to him and she asks for a train to macon heights and he laughs and is like there's no train to macon heights there's that 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 there's no such train she goes no there is it takes exactly 28 minutes i either catch this one this one or this one you know the 119 the 719 that's the train i catch i want a ticket for that and he goes there's no train to make on heights and he looks down to check on his computer and he looks back up and she's disappeared and i would like to point out that i knew she was going to disappear because you see the shot and he's he's working on his computer like that, and you've got the glass on the on the you know the desk, and you can see her reflection in it. I'm like she's gonna disappear, so I'm watching it, and I blinked, and when I look, she had gone from the <laughs> reflection. I'm like no no no, <laughs> rewind. I need to see her disappear because <laughs> when I was in Disneyland in in America. I st- stood there, and I saw there's a painting of a guy in the haunted house, and I knew that painting was going to turn to a skeleton. I knew it, something like that. Something's going to happen. So I'm staring at it, and I'm like eight years old, and my mum goes, "Bazim, look at this," and I turn, look back, skeleton, and I, 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 I knew I was going to see the never transformation. Again. I never again. Never so never again. If I see, I know. So I made Luke rewind it watched it again and what they do is they just tilt the camera so her reflection just d- disappears you don't see her disappear you don't see anything You're just like oh it's just the reflection goes because the angle of the camera changes very disappointing bad show one star <laughs> now uh, <laughs> that was great uh, so, <laughs> so okay she, she disappears she disappears and so he's confused by this whatever and then uh, she comes She the next day he goes to work and uh, she's there. Now, this guy, we see him go home and he has a problem with his son. Now, his wife, Mary, and he has a son, Sam. And the son's like a teenager, I think. Yeah. And there's something not quite right with him. Uh, he seems to have these violent... Episodes. Yeah, yeah. Violent episodes and they're getting worse and something's not right and uh, they're, they're talking about it as if there's going to come a point where he's going to be either committed or arrested yeah. and he doesn't want to admit that that's going to happen and he's in bed with his wife Mary and he says and um, and it comes up how they met she was on a train he was a conductor right but then there's this thing where she points out she asks him if he's scared of her, of his son mm and he says I'm scared for him and she goes sometimes you you have that fake he has this fake smile on his face and she goes sometimes I'm more scared of you when you put that fake smile on the am of our son and you go there's something not quite right with this guy mm. uh, and maybe he's passed that on to his son we don't know right something he's hiding behind a smile And we know from his very first scene that there's something mean about him. Because his very first scene is this great scene. He's making tea for him and one other person who works at the train station. And there's one teabag. And he puts the teabag in his cup. And there's no other teabag. So he goes into the bin, gets a used teabag, puts it in the other guy's cup, makes the tea, gives him the tea with the used teabag, and checks to see if he notices so, and you get this sense that this guy is not he's all smiles and politeness but he's not something something's not right right mm. anyway the next day he goes back to work the woman's there he gets his friend uh, the, uh, the guy who had the bad tea gets the two of them sit her down in the office you know she's in the office in the corner the doors behind them they're asking about make on heights they turn away they turn back she's disappeared again and like how did she do that so the guy, Ed, Timothy Spall, he gets on the train that she mentioned goes to Macon Heights. And he knows that the train takes 28 minutes to get to Macon Heights. So he gets on the train and he sets his uh, clock for 28 minutes. And when it hits 28 minutes, he, see, he hears a sort of echoey, we're arriving at Macon Heights. And a guy on the train gets up, walks to the door, opens the door to the train as the train is moving and just jumps out and so Timothy Spall does the same thing and there's a whole bunch of people that have jumped out of the train and he walks with them and follows them all to this little town in the middle of nowhere which is Macon Heights and it's quiet and it's peaceful and he goes and it's it's also uh, what's the word it's wet from the rain it's not raining but it's been raining mm. Right? It's weird. It's almost like a seaside town, but in the middle of a field. It's wet. It's it's dreary, overcast, everything. He goes in, and this, by the way, is supposed to be the perfect English, <laughs> English town. He goes and he sits down at the, um, uh, in this cafe, and this little angel of a woman just walks up to him and goes, oh, I'll get you your tea and also some cake. And he's like, no, no. Say, no, 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 cake's free. He's like, this cake is divine. It's like a lot of the ra- things around here will be divine, and you're like what the what is going on this place is weird everyone's happy people are celebrating that they, they just got engaged the cake's too nice all this what is going on he's having a wonderful time he's very relaxed he seems genuinely happy and then he has to get the train back and as you said, like I, you know, you wanted to see how they get back on the train, and you thought they, they were cut, good. they
0: yeah. cut to the ad break, and, yeah, and I was like, they. <laughs> It's just caught up on a technicality for the entire ad break. I was like, they're not going to do it. The swines, they're not going to show us how he gets back on the train. Like, well, I started raging at this show and then they got back and it was the scene where they help him back onto
1: the train exactly. as it's moving along. Yeah. Like, oh, okay,
0: fair
1: enough. <laughs> yeah, as the train moves along, someone puts out their hand, they just get pulled back on yeah. the train, right? And he goes home and he gets home and he doesn't have a son anymore. Like the son was never born. Um, the son's room is a spare room his wife he sits in the room and his wife goes oh are you thinking about what might have been and it's like they've never had a son and he doesn't seem shocked
0: no by and this. importantly as well the, the the his wife is happy in the earlier scenes she's run down yes. she's, she has this weight on, right. on her and, she's and in this very, scene, she's, happy. Yeah, she's very she's very breezy
1: yep Um, The photo that you see Hanging on the wall when they come in Is his son as a little kid Now it's the two of them Mm. Uh, A husband and wife married And he's happy And And he starts He he probes questions like Do you not remember that Sam You get the sense he knows he had a son But at the same time He's not surprised he doesn't anymore Mm. And so he starts trying to research a bit about Macon Heights. And you get a bit of backstory about what Macon Heights might be, but really it doesn't get you anything. And he goes back to Macon Heights to find out what's going on.
0: Well, you you do learn that it was supposed to be this ideal town. But it never got made. But it never got made.
1: Never got made. And so he goes back to Macon Heights and... uh, it it, ba- it it basically turns out that this woman, uh, but can make you go to Macon Heights and she makes things better, right? It's not really explained. She just makes things better, and his son is now in Macon Heights. sees his son in Macon Heights. So um, he, he, he basically. He goes to On Heights and he wants to try and get his son back. And the more he asks questions, the more it starts to unravel everyone else. Because everyone else has a horrible story. And that's why they're in On Heights. Everyone has horrible stories. The guy in the train is a child molester. Uh, and uh, the, or the woman in the cafe is a rape victim. And so on. All these people are, are have had something horrible happen to them, or have done horrible things, and now they're in Macon Heights. And what they had happened to them, or what they did, never happened at all. So the child molester, because he's in Macon Heights, never molested anyone. The victim was never abused, etc. Right, and so he's he meets the woman again in Macon Heights. And he, he, he wants his son back. And she says, "You didn't want your son around. You kept imagining what life would be without him, and how happy you'd be without him." And so, and he says this wonderful thing. He says, uh, "Dreaming about something doesn't mean you wish it were real." And she goes, "Look, I can see your future. And you have your son back. Your life gets worse." It gets harder, and it will break you, or you can have this, this happiness. And he's like, if it's harder and so on, then that's the way it's supposed to be, because he's my son, and I love him, and I'm supposed to have my son. I can't. I if if that's the if that's how it's got to be, then it's it's with my son. Um, and so she says you made the wrong choice, and she gives him his son back, and he goes home, and he goes into his house, and it's eerily quiet. Wife can't hear his wife or anything. You don't know if it, if his wife's even in the house. He comes home. There's his son. He smiles. The son goes, "Hello, son." He goes, "Hi, dad." They smile. That's the end, right? And um, you you just get this sense that it, something's going to go wrong, right? That maybe yeah. the wife. He's going to kill the wife, the kid, or something. You'd... You
0: I I expect. I think you did too. When he comes back into the house, that actually she's already yeah, she's been already killed did. by yeah. the son or something. And I think I, I think that's very purposeful. Yeah, you're supposed to have that yeah, foreboding, so, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah, there's a horrible sense of foreboding. Um, but you you get that he made the right choice, almost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he did the right thing. Uh, even though it's going to be harder, he did the right thing. He didn't take the easy way out. Um, uh, you know there's an old philosoph- philosophical um, uh, thing, thought, it's not experiment, but thought thing thing you know it, uh, which is imagine if you have a machine that can make you happy. You just turn a button on and it makes you happy. And it's not addictive at all. There are no delir- bad effect, side effects. there's no nothing goes wrong with it. It's perfect. It works perfectly. You just press a button, you're happy. Something seems wrong about that box, and it's like it's that thing it's just like there's something there's more to sort of a, a cheated happiness isn't a re- real happiness Do you know it's like and that's the sense of it you get the sense that yeah he could have picked and been happy, but it's kind of like he would have chosen to live a fantasy rather than in reality and a a truthful reality I mean that's the controlling idea right no matter how painful reality is better than fantasy. Yeah. Right. Uh, no matter how painful it is, it's always better to go with the re- the reality than it is to go with the, the the fantasy, than to retreat into fantasy. And so, um, and that's the that's the thing. And uh, we, I, you know, I left a couple of scenes out. Whatever. How he gets to that final thing, but yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm not going to spend an hour telling you how the <laughs> yeah. hour episode. Went. Those are yeah. Those are the those are the major, uh, yeah, story beats. And Luke read the short story.
0: Yes, yeah, so the first thing I did after I showed it to Bass and Bass said, wow, this is great, because yeah. um, it's not often he ever says that. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to read the short story, because I was really curious as to where it came from, because it seemed, it's such a neat, and we'll talk more about this in, later in the episode, it's such mm. a neat, complete
1: yeah. story
0: yeah. that they managed to tell in an hour. Uh, yeah,
1: I was immediately cons- uh, like wondering, what's the origin- what's short story like? Yeah. Because this is so British. Yeah. It's so British. Yeah. I'm like, well, but he's, he, I remember I asked you, he's like, is K-Dick British? He's like, no, he's American. I'm like, huh? Yeah. So what did
0: they do? Um, so there's no real, um, there's no home life um, re- uh, as such for Ed. Um. Um, so he works at the train station. The woman comes, uh, sorry, the, the man, it's a man, but mm. um, uh, the, the person comes from Macon Heights, disappears um, comes back a second time he shows his friend, they get him in the room the guy disappears again mm. um, so then he uh, at that point he investigates he doesn't go to on Heights mm. um, so I think he asks um, he asks his girlfriend he does have a girlfriend but you don't really find much out in the story about her he asks his girlfriend to investigate uh, Macon Heights and he gets on a train to go and see... Because um, he gets a time limit, as he does in the in the TV show. Yeah, he right. goes to check out Macon Heights. Um, the train slows down. I think somebody gets off, but he doesn't get off. Mm. Um, and then comes home, comes back to his, um, his girlfriend, who's found out a little bit about Macon Heights. And you find mm. out that there were these three towns that were going to be... Um, built at the same time, they all the the planning permission was all put forward, um, and the uh, councils were worried that they would draw um, too much uh, retail away from the city, so they only approved two, and one of them was cancelled, and that was Macon Heights. So it's a town that never existed that it should have done right. Um, but on the train, he'd already seen Macon heights kind of passed by so he uh he um in his sort of wanderings he suddenly sees the because when the when the person cuts in the tv show as well when the person comes they say oh, i work at this insurance building yes that's right okay. and he spots it in the real world mm. and when he spots it he thinks well this is weird that shouldn't be there it's, i don't think it's ever been there before and he's really unsure so mm. he decides to go and visit make on heights um does so um when he's there, then he starts to realise. Well, if the insurance company has suddenly appeared back in the real world, then what else is happening here? And is Make on Heights infecting the real world? What else has changed? Have I changed? Mm. And so he suddenly worries for his girlfriend. He rushes back home, um, gets to the apartment. Everything seems fine. She's happy, and then he hears a baby cry in the next room, and mm. he realises that um, that Make on Heights has changed his. Uh, it's essentially given him a, a baby, whereas he didn't previously had one, yeah. and that's it. That's the story. It's about eight or nine pages long, yeah. Um, and you can tell instantly there's just not as much meat to it. It's no. a very cute concept,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, like like the um, the short story is more focused on is making heights a bad thing, and it's like yeah. no, not really. And this, it's kind of, it's a part of it, but it's not really what the story's about. Because you get the sense that it's, you know, you think it's on Heights, like, is it evil? Is it tricking people? Is it stealing yeah. people? And it's like, really isn't. There's a wonderful bit where he's talking to the reporter. And he's asking, you know, what happened to the planning for Macon Heights. Yeah. And the woman reporter says that, uh, oh, the, the money went bad. And he goes, "What do you mean?" And it's like you immediately think, "Ah, oh, embezzlement, fraud, something mm. like that." It's like, no, no, just bad planning. Like, she, he goes to the journalist expecting to get dirt. Yeah. Right. There's no dirt. There's no horrible thing. There's no. The only thing that's bad is that the guy who tried to build it and messed up killed himself. Mm. That's that's the that's the sadness of it. But there's oh, no
0: and the and the daughter is the woman that's been yeah. Visiting. There's
1: no yeah. sinister. Thing, there's no. Yeah, do you know what I mean you? Ex- you keep thinking it's it's too ha- it's too nice. There's something sinister going on. Yeah, there isn't. There just isn't. It's not about that. And you get the sense that the woman in the commuter is genuine. Mm. That she, when she says like it's going to get worse and it's going to break you, and I can ease you, make it easier for you, you get the sense she's honest. Mm. Which is what makes that choice work. If she was like, <laughs> she's like the devil, like, like <laughs> come and join me, it'll cost you your soul, like that. You're like, yeah, that's uh, that's not a particularly interesting choice, right there.
0: You realise that it, it's a it's a proper crisis decision. It's a yeah. proper choice he has. It is a
1: proper them. true dilemma that he has between.
0: Um, it's interesting actually that um, that it only works because she seems so genuine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because his choice is he can either live a beautiful lie or a painful truth, right? Mm. So it's irreconcilable goods, you know. On the one hand, he can live something beautiful or he can live something truthful, and it's the lesser of two evils. He can either live a lie or he can live in pain. You know, which one? So it's a beautiful irony choice. You know, which one does he pick? And this guy... Who at the beginning of this episode and everything you get, you understand that this guy is holding back this sense of that his he does you know his son is this burden on him, but he he loves his son. You can tell like there's scenes where it's like he won't let him. He does, like he's give. He, here's the interesting thing, um, how beautiful Timothy Spool plays this. No one really goes. This is the psychology of this character, right? You get. That this guy, from how he smiles and what he does, he is scared of his son. He doesn't want his son to go to prison. He doesn't want his son to go to a mental institution or anything like that. But he also doesn't want his son around. He wants to be free of it, right? Right whenever his son bad things happening how does he get him out of it he tries to distract him I count the notes mm. right and all that stuff he's trying to distract me out because he doesn't want to confront the fact that this happens whenever someone brings up you know at some point we have to talk about the fact that he's, he's like no it's not happening right so on the one hand he doesn't want to acknowledge that this is happening but on the other hand every opportunity he's given to let his son go he won't take it
0: mm.
1: right so it's you get you get the psychology of this guy who's like he it's not that he doesn't want his son around. That's why I love that line. It makes both when he says that, you know, it's like dreaming something doesn't mean you wish it were real. It's like he's at, he that's it. It's like he's he's thinking about life without his son, but he doesn't actually want that life. He wants his son around, mm. you know, and uh, and you get the sense, by the way, you know, we said at the end, we wonder if the wife dies. Like if that's the case then you realize how like, his choice wasn't just lie versus truth, whatever. It was also son versus wife, mm. right? Which is a really profound choice as well. So, so and this is like one hour. <laughs> and it's all inside Timothy Spall's head. And you can't photograph that. So, it's just, it's just, it's. just, it, this is what happens when you have someone who's a, uh, what's the guy who wrote this? What's uh, name? Jack Thorne. Jack Thorne. Jack Thorne wrote this episode, and he wrote it beautifully, and he gave room for all this psychology to be in the subtext, and then they got Timothy Spall, and uh, I don't know who directed the episode, but whoever directed the episode did a brilliant job because they mm. got Timothy Spall's performance on camera. <laughs> okay? They managed to get all that on camera because if you set the camera too far away or too close, all those little subtle gestures that Timothy Spall has suddenly you can't see them or they're so pronounced they become comical right so they got everything right they got the distance between Spall and the camera right his the size of his performance every Bamba, and then all that is just written in the way he makes tea and it's just it's just great it's really great Um, but the the
0: the reason we're highlighting the short story, um, as well is the changes that that they had or that Jack Thorne had to make. I mean, he says in the foreword to the short story and in, in the book I've got that he spent a year consumed by this yeah. short story. The short story is eight pages. Yeah. And he spent a year with it. I mean yeah. it you know the, the 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 script itself, the TV script would have been what sixty pages for an hour, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, So really, it's no surprise that it took a year of writing and rewriting, etc. Yeah. Um, but you know the the changes that were made from that short story, the way that they built the world out of this concept, yeah, and not just the world. I mean, the world like the world of the character, yeah. So if you're going to have a place that takes that kind of makes your life. Perfect in a way. Then what would a character have to lose to to be able to come to that
1: profound yeah, decision? Because at some point you have to ask yourself that question of like, what is, what is the story that can be told by Make on Heights? Right. Like, what what do you tell with that story? Um, I mean, you could do you could do an anthology series called Make On Heights. Yeah. And every week it's a different person given the opportunity to go to Make on Heights. I mean, you could just that because uh, the specificity of the theme is specific is about father son you know a parent with a sixth child but you could change that I mean we saw a couple of examples in the episode right yeah you could change why the person is going to make on heights and do the same thing again and again and again Mm. with that same decision which is do you you know face the real world the consequences of your actions or do you retreat into a fantasy world where you have no consequences, but at least you're happy. You know, mm. that, which one do you pick? And you you could just repeat that again and again. So it's like, well, you know, why pick this one over another one? It's like, well, because Jack Thorne wanted to talk about this, and this is what made him work. Maybe he's a father. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's you. You know, the the short story is just like there's this world. There's Macon Heights and. And it does this, this and, is what it, and yeah. yeah, and it's like you know to look at that and just go, okay, now I have to build something out of that because really, the short story is a sequence. It's like a very small turning point. Mm. And it doesn't really do much, but then it's a short story. That's all it is. Yeah, it's a little um, sketch. That's okay, um, but you know, it's not an hour. No, it's not an hour-long story at all. Um, and this is just. Really great adaptation of it. Um, I don't know if it's an adaptation, really. I don't know if that's fair. It's more like a reinvention because it's not like he took something K. Dick wrote and then went, "Yeah, I'll just make it a bit longer." Do you know? No. I mean, it's almost <laughs> an, it's almost an original work, to be honest.
0: It's a, a it's essentially a different character, right?
1: Yeah, it's a different character, different world. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't really feel like it's. It just feels like he got inspired by something he wrote by Philip K. Dick, mm. as opposed to he adapted something by Philip K. Dick. Do you know what I mean? It feels like it's almost the wrong word. It's not fair to Thorn yeah. to kind of call it that, even though that's what it will say, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it feels a bit rough. <laughs> um, so let's go a bit deeper. we want to talk about
0: Exposition.
1: Yeah, so, like, you know, you you were saying this um, about how it's an hour long and you get this whole world and everything. And it's like, well, with sci-fi and fantasy, you know, how do you get people into your world, right? And we, After we watched
0: the episode, I mentioned something. We kind of concluded there were two ways to get into a world. Do you remember? There's either... Mm. Because in a fantasy and sci-fi world, you, yeah. you you take the audience um a like a step away from the real yeah. world. Yeah, you say, "Come with me. This is the world we're going into," yeah. and an audience will. Follow Toys are you. real. Yeah, a, a, Phil
1: Connors is trapped in Groundhog Day. Done. Yeah,
0: yeah, and an audience will generally follow you one step, but then from yeah. there, everything has to
1: be yeah. set in. It's a long in, time in, ago. Yeah, see, far far away. Exactly. Bam.
0: Done. Um, and then you've got rules once the audience are, uh, are with yeah. you, but it seems that in sci-fi and fantasy stories. You either dump the audience in this pre-existing world from the get-go, in which case you've got problems with exposition, which we'll get into detail about now, or you can actually take you. It it can begin seemingly real, and then the character can go on that journey with the audience, which is what happens in the commuter. Yeah, it's uh, it's effectively yeah. a, a normal world yeah. and then he gets drawn in yeah. as either,
1: yeah you either go it's the real world the actual world and you go and in the story you go from the actual world into the fantasy yeah or you just go we're starting with the fantasy in the fantasy the only world that there there is mm. which is how Star Wars does it right
0: and I guess the difference is that in, on the one hand a Character knows as much as the audience does. Yeah. And so as things are being explained, it's and it's,
1: re, it's really a choice thing. It's just yeah. it's it's it, there's no it's it's a weird thing because like John Carter, sorry, does the other one as well. Yeah, it? it's it's interesting because like John Carter is a guy from Virginia who wakes up on Mars. Yeah. Okay, and then you go, whoa, what's going on with Mars? And some people want to go that way, but if you can, can you imagine if Luke Skywalker was from Ohio <laughs> and he wakes up on? Tatooine. It just like whoa, like what? It feels. It just feels so completely wrong. Yeah. Um. So it it's just it's one of those. It's just a choice thing. Um. And then you build the world around it and so on. But but the issues with exposition. Yeah. The so the um. Either way, you have the same problem with exposition, which is how do you how do you make the how do you tell the audience. This isn't the, the, here's a fantasy. Without breaking the reality, <laughs> right? How do you, you know, just to have some? T- by the way, okay, let's explain how Like right, there are space wizards, <laughs> do you know. Like how how do you do that? So is that Star Wars? Yeah, like how you know how do you do? Yeah, how <laughs> do you get the space wizards? There's orcs. There's how do you? There's a place called On High. How do you get people into the world? Because if you just tell people, here's the crazy world, they're not in the world. Hmm they're not in it yet you have to actually still get them in so how would you get it Star Wars does this brilliant thing where it's just like they have the and they have the big scrolling thing and like by the time the titles are done you're in the world right because it's so bombastic and so crazy you're just like oh I get this this isn't the it's like you know this isn't Push all that stuff away. This is going to be this crazy big space epic, dun, 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 dun. and like that. You got the crawl, and then the big spaceship, and you go, <gasps> and you—that's it. You're in the world, right? Yeah. Um, whereas other things, not necessarily. Sometimes they give you little. They try and pique your interest piece by piece, so you're trying to put it together. Mm. So that by the time that they're ready to tell you what's going on, everything you've put most of this together yourself, uh, and, and that's kind of. So you just have this problem, which is like, you can't just have characters just walk in and go, here's how the rules of this world work, and blah, 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 which is what you see a lot of the time. And it's just like, this is rubbish. We just don't need to see that. Uh, Lord of the Rings is another one, right? Where it just opens and goes, you know, much of what changed is lost for them now live or remember. And then it's just like you see Sauron punching people across the mountains. You go, Wow. This looks amazing, right? I've never seen this before. You get so bad. As you were talking, I was actually thinking
0: about. Um, I know we've talked previously about the magic in yeah. the Tolkien world, but yeah. that I mean, that is not explained it's to never, the point. Yeah, yeah, to the point where we were talking about it in a podcast, going, "How does it work?" And yeah. then somebody I can't remember who it was now. Somebody pointed out, emailed this, and said, "Oh, this is how it works."
1: No, because I said it works like this, and then someone confirmed it remember because I said like, it no, doesn't sleep I definitely, sleep remember, I, I definitely remember somebody else kraderas.
0: making the point in you being as stupid as me really <laughs> no probably not I don't know I'm out of my
1: depth every week I, I remember, no wait no that's not true I remember sleep kraderas. anyway it doesn't matter um, but the point is um, yeah so what you explain what you don't explain how to do the exposition um, so one of the things that was more tolerable back, you know, around the turn of the twentieth century, you know, eighteen hundreds to the nineteen hundreds. That time, when fantasy was just beginning, was these sort of travelogue type stories. If you read the original Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, pretty much the way uh, the John Carter story works originally is he wakes up on Mars and then he proceeds to tell you how Mars looks for several pages. And he just walks around going, Yeah, so that over there, that's let me explain how that works. And he's like a tour guy. And nothing's really happening. He's just a tour guy.
0: I like travelogue as an explanation. Yeah,
1: it's just it, that's what it is. It's just a travelogue, right? Uh, Tolkien did it. With the Lord of the Rings. You read the Lord of the Rings and he's like, Frodo, there's this ring that's very important. But first let me tell you about this particular fork in the road. Now, it was built in eighteen sixty two. And it just goes on, right? And then they start singing. Um <laughs> Okay. And so he he so they do this this sort of travelog approach to it. And the thing is, Tolkien and Burroughs could get away with it one because they were pioneers of the form, and two because their imagination is insane. I mean, I was reading uh, a Princess of Mars after I saw John Carter, and I was reading it, and I was just, like, this guy has built such a world in his mind. And he is so, he is relaying it to me so well, I can still remember the word pictures that he conjured in my head. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I find this: Edgar Rice borrows like, like invented the concept of ray guns. You know, he 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 has been ripped off for a hundred years. Everything: Dune, Star Wars, Flash Gordon. I mean, Star Wars is a pastiche of Flash Gordon, which is a pastiche of John Carter you know the Barson story so like he has he's the progenitor of, of like that that, that kind I of I like social. the word
0: pastiche because it is just the intellectual way of saying yoink
1: yeah right. it is it yeah. is but it, it's. I mean they've invented enough like there's no Jedi there's no I am your father or anything like that in Edgar Rice Burroughs. so does that mean that The Last Jedi is going to be a pastiche of- no, let's not <laughs> let's not right so <laughs> um so, um, it's a, and, and Tolkien invented fantasy to the point that to right now, still, like, everyone's copying Tolkien, still, right? So
0: It's the standard, isn't it? Yeah,
1: Burroughs it? and yeah. Tolkien are the standard for those forms sure. of fantasy. Uh, I guess what you would call space opera, right? It's mm. Burroughs, and not hard sci-fi, I guess, right? Hard sci-fi is probably Heinlein or Clark. Yeah, yeah. Um, but th- these guys kind of... Just so when they when they sit down and they go yeah I'm going to talk about it's like yeah Tolkien invented languages, like full complete languages for for his races yeah he's allowed to spend a bit of time talking about them do you know what I mean
0: I have a question which you you may get to an answer but um, before I forget I have to ask do you think people's appetite for exposition travelog style exposition is greater and they're more forgiving when reading
1: a novel compared to I think easy. so because uh, you take it at your own pace. Sure. I think if you're watching a film, you'd get or a TV, you'd because... get annoyed because if you missed a point or you wanted to spend a bit of time in a place, yeah, you can't because you move straight on. Plus, um, you can't, you don't invent the images in your head when you watch it in, in a film. But you do...
0: And part... part the, the, there's a joy in that, right? You have it described to a degree where you create this... Yeah. Build that in your mind. Exactly. And then you can move forward.
1: Yeah, because you pick up the information on the screen so quickly. Mm. You'd get very bored if it lingered. Right. Um, so the travelogue approach... I mean, are you, I think you could do it because there are travelogue-type stories. You've seen them, you know? Like... um. Uh, what was it called? The Robert Redford, Nick Nolte thing. Walk in the Woods? Is that what it was called? Is that a recent one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's called the Walk in the Woods. I like that. It's very nice film.
0: Oh, no, it's... The, yeah, it is. It's the Bill Bryson Bill Bryson. One. So, I one mean, one. It, 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 it would have been a travelogue.
1: Right, yeah. Like, as a book. Bill Bryson did it, right? It's fine. Uh, you watch them, and they take their time going from one place to the other. Um, yeah. And it's... Folks... And the the... the the way it's filmed, it works, it works fine You so it's not that you can't do it you could um, it's just, I think, you, I think you're quite right though, the tolerance for it is greater in the novel mm. than it would be on television, it's not that you couldn't do it on television or film, it's just that people wouldn't be as tolerant uh, because when you do a travelogue people want, if they want the whole point is you're, you're walking through a world and so, if you're going to walk someone through a world, they want to be able to take their own pace, like a tour guide, right? Mm. You kind of have to usher them on, but you let them take it in at their own pace. You let yeah. them focus on the bits they want to focus on. And you can't do that if you're going at a certain speed constantly. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's, oh, you can, but it's just a bit, you have to be a bit more finished.
0: So I don't want to hit any trigger topics or anything, but is there is there an example you can think of of a travel log style? Um, TV or film that didn't work like sci-fi fantasy or oh, what boring travel is there anything, is there anything this brings to mind no
1: not off the top of my head you'd imagine
0: something like that wouldn't make it to screen right because it would be so it, or into your memory or into your memory yeah okay, fair
1: enough I can't I can't think of it um listeners but,
0: hit us up on twitter if you can think of anything that is yeah it's always interesting to travelog collect style.
1: examples um, but so, but the thing is, like, so you have this expositional thing, like, how do you do it? And so the the obvious thing is, like, it's not just a question of uh, how do you get the information to the audience. You have to do it in a way that's invisible. You can't just lecture the audience. And so you have to kind of, with, with this sort of fantasy world building, is you kind of have to do it in a way that the audience isn't aware that they're being told nonsense. <laughs> right? They're just being told stuff you made up. Yeah. This isn't real. Right? So you have to convince them that it's real and point out the things. It's a very interesting balancing act that you have to pull off. And so what the way the commuter does it is it goes, here's the real world and here's one little thing that seems off. And then that piques your interest. So you want to try and start connecting dots. Mm. And because you're actively involved in the connecting of dots, you're happy... To piece these things together as it drip feeds you little tiny pieces little tiny tiniest of pieces of exposition and in uh, a book like Burroughs or Tolkien they're they're telling you they go here let me describe this to you and they describe it to you in really flowing uh, passages that make a lot of sense and they're very clear and they paint a world in your head and so as you're reading it you're building it in your head which is essentially the same thing as like as you're watching the woman talk about Megan Heights, you're piecing the mystery together. You're piecing the world together as you go along. So you're on the you're on that journey with them, right? Mm. Whereas something like Star Wars doesn't do anything like that at all. Star Wars just goes, It's in your face, you've seen it, it therefore it's true. And you just along with the ride, and then it doesn't break any of its rules, and so you can keep staying in that world. And you pick things up as they go. He doesn't try and tell you everything from the get go. He tells you just enough to hook you into this bit, then just enough to hook you into the next bit. So we know that layer. Uh, we don't. For, for example, it's we don't. We never see the Emperor in Star Wars, right? And it's never fully explained how the political system works. But we know she's an ambassador. And remember that bit? It's like. Uh, she, she has the thing it's like I'm an ambassador this is a diplomatic if you're wait if this is a diplomatic vessel then where is the ambassador you're part of the rebel hands and a traitor take her away right and it's just like okay we get how this works Got the stormtrooper blah, blah, blah. so you pick it up piece by piece by just because the the concept is if the world if the if the writer knows how their world actually works you don't need to drop exposition Because the nature of how people act in the world will clue the audience into how things work. They'll pick it up because things act consistently the way they should be if certain things were true. If it's this way, then it works this way. So they don't need to have it explained. And in fact, certain times explanations would become really upsetting and annoying and aggravating. We do not need to know how Tom Hanks ended up big. Right, we don't we don't need to know how Zoltan works. Knowing Zoltan is like a alien is is not important. It's just gonna magic, it. right? It's just magic, and it's never explained. Right? You t- you pull out the cable, and then it works for some reason. Fine, then it's magic. Uh, we don't know why Phil Connors is trapped in Groundhog Day. Yes, there was a draft where a uh, ex girlfriend puts a spell on him. We don't need to know that, right? <laughs> like that's not important. Uh, we don't need to know why toys are alive in Toy Story, right? yeah and all that kind of stuff um and so there's a certain point where like the audience doesn't need to know it and so you need to kind of when the well when you're building that world you kind of just the only thing you can do is you have to just pay attention to what questions are the audience asking about this world that's the point i was about
0: to yeah. make it's just su- it's you have to have such an acute awareness of what the yeah. audience is going to be thinking before they're thinking it
1: yeah and then you have to make sure you give them the answer when they need it, not when they want it, and before they get bored, Mm. before they get annoyed. And you give them the answer in such a way that they can understand what they need to know, and they know what they don't know, and so on, and they can just follow the story and enjoy the story. You give the minimum amount required to enjoy the story at the latest possible times, because then then that works. And you can only do that through rewrites and... And stuff. You yeah, can, you re- can't Yeah. Re- there's write, no formula.
0: I was gonna say rewrite. There isn't a formula. I was no. gonna say rewrite and um, getting getting a story to a place where you, it is as good as you can possibly get it inside your own head. Yeah. And then yeah, pitching it over ten minutes to somebody yeah. and seeing what questions they ask and if yeah. they're like, well, I I I don't get it. How did the guy? get turned little right then either you've made too big a deal and it it shouldn't be a big deal if you don't want them to know or maybe you do need to exactly
1: and and also you get the other thing which is you know watch any superhero origin movie where the audience is bored for 30 minutes right because like why are they bored or because they know (laughs) right they don't care they don't care how Superman can fly, right? We don't That's not the interesting part. Oh, the mechanism. Spider, we get it. Move on. How does Wait, hold on. How does a man stick to the wall? It's like that's not a question anyone cared about until 50 years of Spider-Man I'd comics. What? Well, you know, know. Like, <laughs> and they ran out of ideas of what Electro could do. And it's like, okay, fine. Let's explain how he sticks to walls. Really. <laughs>
0: um, I realize that from from the superhero from the Spider-Man point of view, Amazing yeah. Spider-Man did it well because they created a story out of yes the spider
1: amazing spider-man worked really well um and so did spider-man homecoming which didn't put it in the film at all <laughs> oh there you go that's it's you not know. there at all he's he's just the spider-man everyone knows how that works he does whatever a spider can end of discussion right and that's it we just move on <laughs> right um let's have him fight the vulture it'll be amazing um, i thought
0: of an example where um I guess the opposite end of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum, you have that over exposition, yes. travelog style, like this is how the ray guns work, and et cetera. yes, um, yeah, they
1: actually you we know, see that's the thing. They like, they really get into that, and like how do, how does this work? It works like this and like this, and you go wow, they've really answered all these questions <laughs> and all that. It's Like, but at the same time, the reason that works is that the audience. They're kind of going, look how big this world is, and then they guide you through it. And you want to know all the little ins and outs because you want, you know what I mean? Like, all those things are important.
0: But the opposite example. Yeah,
1: which is the commuter.
0: Well, no, no, I mean right at the other end of the spectrum where you don't get anything explained would be something like Lost, right?
1: Oh, you mean a ba- yeah, that's a, a bad, bad example. You do get explained. It does get explained at the end. It does. It does. It's just not satisfying because oh, okay. they didn't have any. It's not set up. <laughs> it's it's okay. it's uh, explanations without setups. It doesn't mean anything. And the, and also when they were setting it, up, yeah. we're not going to get into that. Second time. You're, <laughs> we're well not getting. Done. Into, we're not getting into it. Second time so, I failed to bait you. No, not doing it. But good good versions. On the one hand, you have that incredible, like let's explain everything. Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tolkien style. Yeah. Which draws you further and further into the world because the world is so enormous and they're trying to convey that sense of scale, right? Spider-Man's a very short, small world. There's not much point in getting into all those things. He's just one dude with spider powers, right?
0: And also, uh, so Star Wars.
1: Yeah, Star Wars is huge. We want to know certain things. The we... world of characters is small. So Star Wars has this big backdrop, Right. Uh, this huge world that's a backdrop but the main cast and the story in it is small so we don't care too much how lightsabers work Mm. as well we don't really want to know how the force works because that's part that's also part of the sense of wonder if you explain certain things and don't explain other things that also has an effect Mm. right so we know a lot about what's going on with Ed Jacobson's family but we don't know much about what's going on with Macon Heights yeah Right. And even at the end, like he doesn't even ask questions like there's bits where like he goes through an attic and then the attic's upside down and in a web and, and like a weird cosmic web. And just like, how come he's not asking questions about this? But because he doesn't ask questions, you kind of don't either. And the story stays focused on his decision rather than how Macon Heights works. Yeah. Which is not what's important because Macon Heights doesn't exist and that's not what the story is about. So it's so it's it's very much one of those things where it's 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 very specific to the story and the writer's choices and things. So there's as I say there's no like formula. It's just there's all these different approaches based on the kind of world and the kind of story you want to tell. And so the the difficulty is 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 more like you you need to get the audience into the world, you need to have them, you need to know what questions they're asking when's the right time to answer them how best to answer them it's just this huge complex of questions that you ask yourself to solve and there's no, there's no right answer to it there's no, oh you do it this way, you do it that way because the tone then matters like how wondrous is it so and once we'll more
0: uh, hours worth of analysis into technique and skill boils down to uh, <laughs> pretty much Excellent. Yeah. Do you want to talk about allegory quickly before we wrap? up?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that the commuter is about, the allegory, is it seems very much. Um, you know, I was saying like Macon heights could be about. You could just change who Ed Jacobson is, mm. because the premise of that the this you know <clears throat> this place that you go to and it makes things easier for you, and then you pick between the you know the blissful ignorance or the painful truth. Right? You make that choice. You could change what is the painful truth? You could change it. So the allegory in um, The Commuter that Thorne picked seems to me about the kind of challenges that I would guess any parent who has a sick or terminally ill child would have to face. And I think the bit that's most brilliantly realized is that bit where he says, dreaming something doesn't mean you wish it was real. And these parents must have days where they think to themselves I you know imagine my life if I didn't have this child in my life right and I would argue that you probably wouldn't even need to have a sick or terminally ill child right I think just any child is enough any family member is enough anyone who's had someone in their life who they can't that person they can't just get rid of they can't take a break from almost and who is dependent on them you know even a dog or a pet, mm. whatever, right? That sensation of, oh, I wish this other thing, this other person in my life was not around versus actually having them not around. Mm. So you you fantasize about it, but you don't actually want it to happen um, at all, right? And the idea of it happening is is far worse than, you know, then, then uh, that actually happening is far, far worse than having them in your life, right? Even though it's painful to have them. So that that thing, I think, was just, it's a very powerful allegory. And the, the episode is about that. It's about this guy who basically is constantly imagining what his life would be like if his kid wasn't around. His kid is gone, and the only thing he can think of is how he can get his kid back. And it doesn't matter what the price is, because he he wants he, would, he wants his child, because his child is real. He doesn't want to live a fake life without him. Mm. This is not what he wants, um, and that is basically what the allegory is about. And we were talking about how Black Mirror is stark and in your face. Black Mirror, in contrast to something like this, just seems really immature um, compared to this. This is just seems very very mature. You know, Black Mirror's allegories are very superficial. Well, like, isn't Twitter bad? You know that kind of thing, <laughs> uh, and it's just like okay, th- you're not you're not digging past the surface. Whereas this one, it's like this is digging deep down into the psychology of essentially a parent.
0: That's
1: Do you know that's the fantasy. The difference. The oh, uh, th-
0: that's the difference. You don't get the. Um, I mean, for me, there, there's, there's, there's are some early. Um, uh really nice Black Mirror episodes but you, yeah. even so even in the episodes that I do like of Black Mirror yeah. you never get that sense of really getting down to the meat of a character's
1: yeah like psychology it's, it's very superficial, right? It's, it's yeah. Uh it's not that it's bad, it's just it's just like there's not much here. And the idea, oh well it's only an hour long, you know, Black Mirror is like, well this is an hour long. Mm. And I, you said even the other electric dreams aren't this good.
0: Um, I haven't seen, so I've I've seen some of the Brian Cranston one, which I think was episode five, and that seems really quite nice. I, yeah. Like I, I was drawn in. I just yeah. it was very late and I fell asleep. <laughs> um, which is not a review of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Did yeah. you
1: dream of electric sheep?
0: I was just about to make some kind of terrible dream pun. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the other episodes were 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 nice. The the thing you get with the other episode is you get a sense that they're trying to do this every yeah, okay, time. Okay, right. And that's what made the show Whereas Black really Mirror, different. you don't
1: get that sense. You never get you that. You get the no. sense that they think they've cracked it. Like, it, 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 it right, it, it, There's just this sense of like, right. we get it. And it's like, I don't think you've done enough reading. Bees? Really? Um, and uh, it, it, it just... Uh, and the thing is like, we've... We've you know, we had other anthology shows. We had the Twilight Zone, we had the Outer Limits. We even had the X-Files. The X-Files generally, a lot of the time, were told from the point of view of regular people who got caught up in this weird, horrible thing. Yeah. And then Mulder and Scully kind of walk in and have to deal with it a bit sometimes. It wasn't even from their point of view. Yeah. Um, and you had things like Star Trek and so on. But these, like, the Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, no. But X-Files and... Um, Star Trek, they had a recurring cast that would often have the same events happen, like bizarre events happen to them or they would walk into an allegory or whatever. They were our way into these different things. But what the Commuter does is it builds a whole world, a whole cast everything in an hour, resolves it in an hour and it's fantasy and it's very very well done and that's very very rare. Mm. Um, and as I was saying like the allegory for this, the was about parents and so on but uh one way they could have gone is um what alan moore did in a superman story called what you call what would you get the man what you get for the man who has everything i think it was called. Mm. um and the basic premise of the story is it's superman's birthday and batman and wonder woman and robin go to the fortress Solitude for his birthday and they find him and he's paralyzed and he's got this giant plant stuck in his chest And this plant is giving him visions of a world where Krypton did not explode. So he lives on Krypton with his family. He has a wife, he has kids, his father's alive, everything. Krypton. Isn't Krypton lovely? And it turns out what's happened is the evil alien Mongol has uh, sent him this This flower under the guise of a grateful alien race that he saved once and so he takes it puts it on and it turns him in you know it's like this is how i get superman out the way and he's like okay so i'm on earth now i don't know your culture which one of you is it polite for me to kill first <laughs> right that's what he says and wonder woman punches him in the face and hurts her head and he goes ah that's answered my question <laughs> right and so so as as wonder woman is trying to deal with the mongol Batman and Robin are trying to get the the Black Mercy plant off Superman. And there's a great bit where they do get it off, but then it touches off to Batman, and Batman has the fancy of his parents never get shot. (laughs) But the whole thing is, Alan Moore was saying, he wrote a a little thing, uh, you know, on writing. And he goes into great depth of how and why he wrote this story. And he just said that there are people out there who keep constantly thinking if I hadn't done this in the past or when something like when I finally pay off my mortgage when something happens in the future they think I'll, I'll be happy if I hadn't done the thing in the past I'd be happy when this thing happens in the future I'll be happy and they ignore the present mm. and so he wanted to take an allegory about that and so what did he do? he gave Superman the perfect fantasy world and then made Superman have to pick between the perfect fantasy world or the real world Right, and there's this wonderful bit where he's there with his son in the fancy world, and he just looks him and goes, "I don't think you're real." And when he wakes up, he is the angriest he's ever been, and he goes, he fights Mongol, and Mongol's like, oh, "Getting out of there must have been like tearing off your arm; it must have hurt and all that stuff." And he's just, like, oh, he's just livid with rage, and it's just, it's a fantastic story, and it's the same allegory, right? Hmm. The same thing, lie, truth, right? You know, ignorant, blissful ignorance versus painful reality so the guy could have decided, you know, he could have done something else, he could have made him be a lonely guy who gets a whole family, right, which is what yeah. Philip K. Dick did, right uh, and so he has to pick to give up his family, like you could do it the other way around he's already been to on Heights he, he's forgotten, and then he realises that the family he has isn't the real family at all that he's been in Macon Heights, do you see what I mean mm. so there's loads of ways you could do it but Thorne picked this one and it's a very it's a very well done one and it plays nicely with the daughter angle of Macon Heights that the idea of the daughter is running Macon Heights sure right that there's another so he's got this father-son relationship and then you've got this daughter father relationship and you get the sense that the woman in charge of Macon Heights okay is being kind to him because he's a dad. Right? Yeah. So the f- the familial relationship plays more and more into this story. So he made that choice and he's put all these things, these little pieces together and it creates this nice sort of thing about parents and mm. children and how uh, a, pa- a parent losing a child is horrible and a child losing a parent is horrible and that's why you start to feel for Sam yeah right you f- you have a bit of f- empathy for sam cuz sam can't help it and you don't feel like sam deserves not to have his family even though sam's happy and on heights without them you still get the sense that sam deserves to have his parents in his life mm. and you get the sense that the parents deserve to have him in his life and so so there's this whole thing right and so the the fact that the woman has this sort of daughter like nature to her Is very important to that as well. So there's all these little choices that he has to make in order to make that work, and it creates this really wonderful allegory. makes this great story about something, and Macon Heights is the way you get people to talk about it and to deal with what isn't physical in a physical way, like in 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 a more concrete way. It takes something abstract and makes it more concrete, which is great. Beautiful episode. It's really wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, yeah, just excellent. So, okay.
0: I mean, does that do, are you are you comfortable with that covering what we can take away from it, or is there yes. some neat little? But you got <laughs> no, nothing, dude. I got nothing. Nothing. no,
1: um, no. It's like you know, I I, I just feel like um, I don't know. For me, the commuter is the kind of thing. Like, if I wanted to write a short story sci-fi type story. Mm. This is kind of the, the standard to reach. Like when you when, when I find something like this, for me what I would take away is I would go, okay, I have to understand how this works because this is what the standard needs to be. Right. Okay. So I have to unpack it. You know, people like to unpack failures all the time. It's like that's fine. But you If you unpack failures, all you get better at is doing slightly better than the failures Mm. because you you understand when something's not working. But just when you know when something isn't working doesn't mean you know how to get something working. Do you know what I mean? So you need to see how things, when they're working, work. You know? People don't you know, watchmakers don't just study broken watches. (laughs) Right? They have to work out how how, and then they see then someone makes a watch that's even more beautiful and perfect. How did you make that? You know, everyone understands the chefs. Everyone gets this. You, you, when you see someone who does something at a level you didn't even know was there, they try to unpack. How did they do that? What's the recipe to make that thing? Right. And so when I see something like this, my feeling is less. You know, um, tearing. You know, it, it's it's you know it's it's less like what can I personally use from it. It's more, okay, this is something I now have to break apart to understand. So that I know what that's what that next standard is. Like, okay, you know, how did they get the exposition going through? How did they put the allegory in there? How did they get the psychology working and all that well, can stuff?
0: I build on how little? Because I think actually what you've just said is pretty pertinent. Anyway, can I can I mm-hmm. build on that and try and wrap it up and say yes? That, well, when we go down to write something, I mean, we we to at the end of the day every. Um, uh, writing discussion would say is, but we talk a lot about yeah. um, unpacking examples and researching mm. and you know and conventions etc um, but actually I don't think you've ever said that before that if it, like okay let's say you are going to write a sci-fi anthology yeah. find your standard yeah right, right. or if you're yeah, going to write a, an education story find your standard yeah. find find the thing that like if you come up
1: short then yeah. you're, it's not yeah, the it's standard. not just find your genre or find the kind of story that inspires you it's also like find the absolute like find the best example of that yeah the the highest standard of it and then try and reach that yeah and yeah because sometimes you go oh you know I like this kind of story and you surround yourself with similar examples mm. that's great because that gets your heart you know your passions going and you want to want to write Oh, I want to write something like that that feels like that you know and all that mm. stuff that's great but then you're often looking at those as though well they haven't scratched that itch for some reason so they're not they're not perfect but you want to find something where it's like I can't improve this I can't there's nothing in here I want to change or mm. fix or anything and it's not because it's a something I love and therefore I don't want to touch it it's like no 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 I look at this and it's just like there's a sort of reverence like wow yeah wow you know you did that so well and then you want to just like okay I have to work out how to get to that, you know, like, you know, we talk about, that's how I feel like with Better Call Saul, for example. Right. Right. <laughs> right it's just like, okay, I just, how yeah. do you, how do you get these, like, you know, we talked about this last week with, um, the scene with Mike and the shoes. Yeah. She says, okay, how, how do I do this? How do I tell my scenes that well, um, regardless of genre or anything? And then, um, uh, you know, an attack on Titan. How do I make a world that compelling? Like how? So you know, it's so compelling on the surface, and yet the surface is a total lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: And on that note, this is another and almost final call <laughs> to get up to date on Attack on Titan. Yeah. Um, but because we but, are yeah, recording th- the next.
1: I think of. I like that. Yeah. Find your standard. Yeah. I agree. I think that's it. Cool.